You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram Kivilevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello. This is Gaza War Stories, and I am here with one of my oldest students, Adam Siegel, who is the head of Mortgage Israel, which is uh, an incredible company. And Adam made Aliyah. How, how many years ago did you make Aliyah? Uh, 14 years. 14 years. But you've always loved Eretz Israel. I mean, it's always been in your blood in many ways, right? Even though you're living in Chicago. I'm proud to say I was brainwashed by Camp Mosheva in the 80s. And uh, ever since then, I knew I would wind up here. And uh, it took a little while, but we eventually did. Yeah, and, and it's true. You know, Chicago had a very strong Zionist bent. And uh, you operate uh, an, a, a company that really helps people from all over the world, mostly Americans, though, purchase homes in Eretz Israel. So first of all, let's, obviously we're here in the middle of a war. Has that stopped any of these, like, like the mortgages are going through or people thinking of pulling out? Has any of that, has that any of that come to the fore? Well, it's only five days into the war, so we haven't really seen that yet. And again, when you're working on mortgages, it's generally for people who've already made a decision to buy. They're already in the process. They have a contract that they already signed, so it's too late. <laughs> the truth is, for some people, I'm thinking, you know, the people who signed a contract to buy in Ashkelon, you know, two weeks ago, I'm sort of wondering if they regret it a little bit, but hopefully not, because Rath Hashem will get past it. Uh, so we haven't really heard or seen anything yet. And I, I hope that we won't. Hopefully there'll be a positive conclusion and it'll strengthen people's resolve to come to Israel. But of course, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see, but that's what right. we hope and, and we expect. Yeah. Well, look, well, you know, I, I, I think what you're saying is obviously very, uh, very sound and correct. And, and people are in a way analyzing their lives. People have committed to move to Eretz Israel and even, even some people who have, who live in Eretz Israel. There's, there's young families, uh, who are wondering as much as the Israeli resolve is is iron there are cracks and there are people who who are worried especially you know and that's part of part of what what, what our enemies want us want, want to happen you have another hat that that you wear which is uh, you're involved with the barilan uh, american experience well, the, it's called the israel experience at barilan university and it, it's it's a wonderful way to expose american kids to life in Eretz Israel, college life especially mm-hmm. those kids who who want to maybe pursue going to college in Eretz Israel. And uh, I know a number of people that, uh, that really rave about the program. And of course, some of the teachers there, some of my, some of my rabbi and some of my best friends. So how's that being affected now that we have the, uh, the, the, the war? Well, it's, uh, it's delayed. The students were actually supposed to arrive today. We had a group flight coming of about 120 students. I uh, was supposed to arrive in Israel today. Obviously, that got pushed off. We uh, allow has been very good with us. They pushed it off tentatively for two weeks. So we're going to evaluate over the next couple of weeks and see what happened. Of course, you know, a few parents have already requested their money back and requested. They said, there's no way I'm sending my kids. But the majority of the parents, I think, uh, really feel that Israel is the homeland of the Jewish people. And they want their kids to have the experience to be here. And uh, the majority are willing to give it some time and say, okay, let's see what happens. Of course, most people don't want to send their kid to the middle of a war zone, which is, that's called being a good parent. You know, I don't think anybody would, you know, say, I'm sending my kid to Israel now. But uh, let's give it some time and see. I think that people understand that things in the Middle East change quickly. Obviously, from a religious perspective, Hashem could do a miracle. We could be very successful very quickly. We've seen that before, and hopefully that will happen. And so people are willing to give us the time. 
you know, I want to just go back to one thing that you were saying before about people making Aliyah, buying property. Is this going to hold back young people? What we've seen over the last 10 years is that Jews always find a reason to want to buy in Israel. When Trump was in office, people said, oh, Trump is so good for Israel. We should buy in Israel. Israel is going to be strengthened. When Trump was put out of office, people said, oh, could you believe this? Biden's in office. He's terrible for the Jews. You know what? We got to go to Israel. When the dollar goes up versus the shekel, people are like, oh, my dollar is so, so strong. I could buy in Israel now. Now that Biden's supporting him, people say, oh, look how great Biden is. Israel is so strong. Israel is so much support. So I think that, you know, somewhere inside the Jewish people, we have such a strong desire to be in Eretz Israel and to make this our yeah. homeland that it's almost like we'll, we'll find a way to interpret the events of the day or interpret the events of the world as a justification for why we should go back to Eretz Israel and why we should settle here. So on the one hand, you can look at it and say, well, you know, this can't be good for the mortgage business. It can't be good for Israel in general. But I think that uh, the Jewish people have proven over time that we've been waiting for a long time to come back here. So we'll find a way to make it work and fit in our worldview with the uh, with that is to the extent it's possible. It's beautiful, Adam, and almost uh, it's very Rav Cook-like mm-hmm. that sometimes the people don't even know why they're articulating the point of view that they are. You know, the the deep soul connection that we have with Israel that's going to develop, that's going to show itself, that's going to be there. Like you mm-hmm. say, the tzura that it takes is, is is really, as you say, not really that important <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's going to happen. And that's why it's sort of like, um, as you say, the business you're in is based, is tapping into the deep longing and connectedness that God mystically bound us to this, to this place. It's a great perspective to have. I know you've had your ears glued to the news and to what's going on and our listeners could probably do the same thing, but I love the perspective that you shared with me off pod. We were discussing how the insidiousness of, of Hamas and their Iranian backers, but the incredible effectiveness. I don't, I hate using the word brilliance, but it was a, 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 a brilliant ploy. The, you know, the smokescreen of the rockets to lull us into thinking, Oh, this is just another one of these attacks and the Iron Dome will help us. And meanwhile, the, what they, what they were doing was, was incredible, uh, sophisticated. To the extent that it doesn't match, you know, the barbarism of, of those operatives who came in and just were raping and killing. And, and you wonder, you know, I know you, you have a son who, uh, is, has a great interest in this area. How do you think that happened? How do you think they were, do you think Iran just sent them the, these, these brainy, uh, computer geeks to, to be able to do this? Well, I actually think, uh, it was the opposite. First of all, the number one, mistake that people could make, and I hope that we as a country are able to say this, is, you know, not all of our enemies are so stupid. You know, there is Chachma Bagoyim, and I think that we all have this vision, because maybe whether it be from TV or whether it's from real, <laughs> is that, you know, you have this, like, crazy Meshuggah terrorist coming with, like, a machine gun and a machete, and he's just ro- roaming around like, uh, like, Friday the 13th, or yeah. like, uh, what's that guy, uh, you know, yeah. Freddy Krueger, yeah. you know, yeah. and he's just, you know, some, like, idiotic moron zombie trying to kill you there is that element but to think that they don't have anybody within that population that has intelligence that has military planning you know i don't think that to say well it's the iranians no you have a you have an enemy who's not so stupid and and look at what they've done and it's obvious that they weren't so stupid and i think that to the extent that israel is able to say wait a second we're dealing with 
a smart enemy. They had a great amount of planning. They might have more surprises for us still waiting, so we better be careful and not treat them like they're stupid. We better learn from our lessons. And, you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with someone saying in any sport or any area in life, you know, hey, we made a mistake. You got us. You beat me. Now we're going to come back and look at the great boxers. Most of the great boxers are not undefeated. You know, you have uh, Ali. You know, saying Ali, they, they, they take a beating and they're able to come back and say, you know what? The guy beat me. I lost. He was smarter than me. He was better than me this time. But you know what? I'm not going to make the same, same mistake next time. And that's really what we as a people have to do and understand that. And uh, like my son, I was saying, is in a very top intelligence unit. And, you know, obviously I don't want to say too much, but I think it's obvious. I'm not giving away any secrets to say that we were really caught off guard. They really did not know. And, you know, if they go back to being arrogant a month from now and say, well, you know, hey, okay, we have this great cyber, we have the top uh, startup nation, we have such advanced technology, all they had to do was go low tech. It didn't take so much intelligence, you know, in the old scenes of the, of the, of the mob movies. What did they do if they didn't want the police to know? Go you, to the swimming pool. Yeah. You write a handwritten note. Right. You, you give it to the guy and the guy burns it with his cigarette yeah. afterwards. And now there's, and if you just go low tech and, and in a sense, we become, uh, Invisible. we become, we become, the radar. Yeah, we become blind. So, but sometimes you'll see the politicians get up and say, you know, talk about how smart they are, but really the politicians should get up and say, you know what? They got us. We were wrong. We were arrogant. You know, Asham Nubagadnu, we made mistakes, but now we're going to be better. And I think that the Israeli society as a whole, I'm not saying that it's not going to go back, but Baruch Hashem, a lot of people are saying now, you know, we were so busy fighting ourselves. We were so distracted by our own stupid sinaschinam, you know, this extremist and that extremist and fighting ourselves that we missed who the real enemy was and we missed paying attention to the enemy. So I hope that we as a nation could learn from the mistakes that we made and recognize them and make improvements uh, going forward. Well, very well said. One of the things that mentioned to me off pod that I wasn't aware of is that the terrorists that they're still finding, as you point out, are still very close to the border. And and if these are just the uh, the ones they didn't catch from Shabbos, from the Shemiyat Zeros invasion, then why are they so close to Gaza? And, and, and therefore, you, you, you have said that there are tunnels that we don't know about. There are points of entry that are still happening. And as long as that's a possibility, then really, you, you, you can really strike fear and, and, and horror. Every single person who was sent, despite the bravado that they displayed, knew that they would probably not come back. For sure. I'm sure they, they, you know, they might have been surprised at how easy it was for them to come back, but they were going on Manas to die and what they call Kiddush Hashem of dying for Allah. Mm-hmm. So when you have these operatives who are willing to do that uh, and, and, and be able to inflict as much damage as possible and they're still here, um, that is a very scary thing. You know, when we talk about the, the ground invasion, you wonder how the discovery of these entranceways, why isn't it happening? I think you're right. We haven't discovered the entranceways of all these tunnels, but you would think that, you know, Israeli tech or American tech or Chinese tech mm-hmm. would be able to see, oh, well, there's some heat, heat images, you know, there's, like, there's something mm-hmm. over here. Why can't they find it? I don't know. Isn't, right. isn't well, it I mean, first of all, I, again, I'm obviously I'm not a military expert, but just speaking from common sense and from knowing the area, number one, it's a huge area. Number two, 
there honestly has been a lot of neglect and we hate to say it, but as much as Israel knows that they've been building tunnels and we've been bombing tunnels to the extent that we've been able to find them over the past 10 years, to think that we found every single tunnel is, you know, is, is ridiculous to think that. And I think, you know, till we scan literally every inch of land, because if you're talking, you're not talking about, you know, buildings that you come up in the bottom of, you remember Skokie Yeshiva had the tunnel connecting the two buildings. So those tunnels are a little easier to find. But you're talking about underground tunnels into agricultural areas. You know, what do you, we're going to like literally look under every, uh, under every cucumber patch and under every, under pineapple tree. You know, I'm sure we found a lot and I'm sure that as we capture more terrorists and we interrogate them, you know, we will find out more. But again, it doesn't make sense that five days after the initial invasion, you want to tell me that we're having gunfights with soldiers who've been like where they've been like staying in the hotels like you know for five days they just woke up and said okay i'm ready to go work today of course not these are people that are coming in fresh with fresh ammunition right i'm saying how are you gonna last five days behind enemy lines with what you carried in you know these are they're obviously coming in fresh freshly armed and And freshly which is and and that is you know obviously something that 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 Mm -hmm. every single person fears that's something that um Someone chooses to appear and, and, and randomly. Well, that's why Israel has, really has a job in front of them. And when people talk about, you know, ground invasions and people talk about, you know, complete destruction. I mean, unfortunately, the, the element of barbarism that you mentioned before and warrants the fact that, you know, I, I don't believe we have to be in a rush. I think we have to slowly and methodically just literally, you know, bomb and destroy every inch until they submit surrender, you know, unconditional surrender until we destroy their infrastructure completely. Because it, it's a it's a huge job. It's not like the kind of thing that you know. Okay, you, you know, look how, look how many bombing raids we've run in the past five days, and we're not even touching the tip of the iceberg yet in terms of you know how much is really there and how much land there is and how many potential terrorists that are still walking around freely in Gaza planning new attacks against us. Right. So you actually are you know, you know raising the specter that of all the you know incredible raids from the Israeli Air Force. A lot of that might just be pyrotechnical show, the infrastructure, which was built from Iranian money and mm-hmm. from European money. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all remember after 2005, the incredible mm-hmm. influx of, of cash, you know, for free. You know, these, these mm-hmm. governments, you know, were saying now we're going to create the Palestinian state. We're going to give them all this money. And we know what they did with that money. They did not build nice high rises. They didn't build nice little apartments mm-hmm. and villas. What they right. did was this. And that's why, you know, you, raised, you, you told me you really believe that this war, you know, despite all the other, you know, attacks through the years, this war is really, in a way, what's been building since 2005. I mentioned to you, and I mentioned this on another of our programs, that I thought how eerie and terrible it was that it was being planned during the beginning of, of El, the time that, you know, God and the Jewish people are on the terms to make up and love each other and and, and forgive in, in a loving way, as you pointed out, okay, they, they might have decided then, but it was something that's been in the works for a long time. It's, 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 it's been a 10-year plan, at least, I mean, meaning since they started building attack tunnels underground, it's a network of attack tunnels. It's not one or two or three or five or yeah. 10 or 20. It's a network, like a whole labyrinth of underground attack tunnels of ways to smuggle people into Israel. And if you look just at the, um, even what they bombed today in terms of the, uh, the advanced radar system that Hamas had built in to 
the solar panels and the rooftops of all the Gaza buildings to track Israeli planes, to know where the planes were coming, when they were coming. I mean, they, they really built a military infrastructure. So that's why I'm saying is this image that we have of like the psychotic yes. Palestinian terror, lone wolf kind of guy, you know, running around with his uh, little bomb or his little gun. It's, it's actually a mistake. You have an enemy state who with this, with the infrastructure of an army, of a navy, of a crew, an air force, a crude air force, but, a, you know, an air force and, um, you know, certainly rocket launching capabilities, artillery capabilities. It's, it's wild when you think about, you know, the, the victories of 67 and even in 73, mm-hmm. when we're talking about whole countries like Egypt mm-hmm. and Jordan right. and, and, and Syria. And here you're talking about a couple of square miles. Right. Of, that's uh, what I'm saying. But they actually have an infrastructure of a state, of, of an army. Look, we, we're not going to discount that they have a lot of psychotic, barbaric, cruel people that are willing to carry out, like, you know, uh, monstrous like right, attacks. And, and, but it's not to the exclusion of having an actual military structure. It's almost like, compared to what you're saying before, you know, there's, there's a theology and an ideology that what was once ours is going to be ours again. Dara Islam, the, the cancer of of Israel is going to be eradicated. And that is something that drives them to such a point, similar to, as you said, the Ava that we have there at Israel. Mm-hmm. They are driven by the idea that this is a desecration of Allah's name and everything Israel mm-hmm. stands for. And I think, you know, it's it, the manifestations that it are taking. We have Ava here at Israel and it's coming out like mm-hmm. our, whatever Lushan that we have, they you know, have their own chibur, as the Zohar Kodesh says, to to this country, to the Makam Amikdash. Yeah, and it's 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 it is as, as my good friend Nelson Block says. You know, you know, I say Laman The miracles that you mention are are part of not only saving Jewish lives, but really saving the concept of God, the way we understand God. The God, well, who, think... the God that who promised us this land, the God who 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 you know. You know can anybody not cry when they daven every single day now? Right. Well, I want to just also just point out, you know, obviously uh, your listeners are all Jewish and probably the majority have a background in Torah. But just to give a little chizuk, how beautiful of a religion we have is that, yeah, we're promised Eretz Yisrael and they think that they're promised all these lands. But our vision is that kibesi based filayi karel doesn't matter who you are. If you're going to have respect for God, even if you call that God Allah, if you're going to respect God and abide by the Sheva Mitzvah, not to murder, you know, to respect God, we're happy for you to come to our Makam Amikdash. We're happy for you to come pray in Jerusalem and as much as you want. As opposed to, you see, you know, people say, this is our land. No one else could be on it. You're all terrible. Get out. But what does that show about your concept of God? And what is that? I mean, that's really one of the beautiful things I think about uh, Judaism is that we understand that, you know, if you're confident in your belief, you don't have to kick everybody else away. You're like, sure, come on in. If you're feeling generous, if you feel that you have abundance, that you have a close relationship with God, and that you truly have an infinite God, then you, there's room for everybody to partake in that vision, as opposed to, you know, people that if you, if you have to be stingy and miserly and exclusive and say, it's only us, it's only us, everyone get out, get out. So what does that really mean? It really means that you're not so confident. And it really means that, you know, you don't really have this concept of a omnipotent uh, universal God. I, I would just put a little fine point on that. I love, you know, every single thing you're saying. Let's say the, the, the Arab world, the Muslim world believes that they are supposed to be the Mamlechet Kohanim. They're supposed to be the, the purveyors to the world. 
of submission to Allah. And we believe we are the, 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 the crown uh, jewels of the world who are going to help. And, and therefore, with us, even though we have a certain hierarchy, it's a hierarchy of, of peace, a hierarchy of, of das, a hierarchy of understanding God, Moer Dea. Whereas if they are the stewards and leaders of the world, and of course, Islam has not been. And that's part of the frustration that led to 9-11 and led to much of frustration of the Islamic world and militancy. But even in their utopian ideal of what they're trying to establish, the Jew is still the dimi. The Jew is still just a, a lower class. The Jew is still someone like a cage who has to be a caged animal. And, and I think it's right for us to, you know, we're not Kahanics. We are in, in our conception. And I still believe. And, and you know, we, we're here in the Plaza Hotel. And I am ready to talk to, to, to the Arabs who are the Muslims who are working here to wish them a good day and, and to feel connectedness. I really do feel that they are our cousins. I do feel that, you know, there, there has been this disruption, but I don't, you know, look at them as my sworn and mortal enemy. Let's end with something you said to me before we started recording. I was saying, you know, uh, we've been through a lot, you and I. Uh, I was your Masada Kedushin. You brought me your children when, when they were born. And, mm-hmm. and we've been, been really connected to the hip in, in, in many ways. But you said to me something which, you know, I, I'd like to echo that in myself if I could. And you said that even if somebody would give you, you know, a million dollars or more, which is not much today, right. say, <laughs> I would give you 10 million and say, look, I'm setting you up in Teaneck. I'm setting you up in, in, in West Caldwell, New Jersey. I'm setting you up in Jackson right near Lakewood, and I'm giving you this villa, and you could just leave Eretz Yisrael and just go. You said, there's no way I would take it. I wouldn't even consider it. Well, it's like the, what is the old Gedalia Gumper song? Like, ain't going to work on Saturday, right? I mean, it's like, there's no way I'm leaving. Like, uh, I don't know, if if you have the time, I'll share with you uh, just two really quick stories about what happened when we first made Aliyah. I'm going to tell you fast versions. When we uh, made Aliyah in 2009, my wife was uh, six months pregnant, so she gave birth to our youngest child. And then um, she, she, the baby was around, you know, five or six weeks old, was walking, and my wife went for a walk with the baby in a snuggly uh, in the mountains, which is now the area of Ramat Shemesh Gimel. It was nothing, and it was just an empty space. And um, she was walking through the mountains, and she felt someone jump on her back. And at first she thought it was me playing a trick on her in the mountains. And she turns around and she sees a guy with a kafia wrapped around his head. And she realized this is a terrorist attack. And she ends up, my wife happens to be, again, I want to give you a quick version of the story. She's a third degree black belt in one type of karate. She has two other black belts in other forms of martial arts. She ends up flipping the guy over, hitting him in the groin and uh, knocking him out, essentially. Another, the other terrorist came with a gigantic, like Rambo type of knife and was trying to force her to get up in the mountains. So she says, uh, Rega, Rega, timeout. She does like a timeout sign. And she figures, you know, everybody knows soccer. They know the timeout sign. So the guy just kind of froze. And she says, I'm going to put down my baby. And then we're going to talk. She puts down that she takes, she undoes the snuggly. She sees by the way he's holding the knife that he actually doesn't know how to use the knife properly because she knows advanced knife techniques. And she ends up saying, okay, now I'm ready to fight. So the guy looks at her. He looks at his friend who's still on the ground, looks at her again, looks at him. He ends up like, taking his son, his 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 friend, and just who might have been his son, might have been his son, and they and they end up just walking away. Yeah. A few weeks later, I just bought a new car, 
it's not a particularly strong car, but I figure I'm in Israel. You know, I'm not going to get a uh, a big, uh, what they have, like a Lincoln Navigator. They don't have that here. So I got like a little Hyundai, you know. But anyway, I'm driving home. It's the first rain of the year and right, driving up the roads to Ramat Beit And the roads are slippery. And there's a Jeep coming down the opposite direction. And the roads are, you know, again, the, the roads are slippery. The Jeep goes completely out of control. It comes into my lane, hits me head on. My car actually flipped over and I landed upside down in a ditch um, at, at the side of the road. You know, I, I, I got, think I blacked out for a second, but I, I eventually, obviously, I woke up. I crawled out of the car underneath. And if you remember the old A-team shows where you always wonder, like, how did that helicopter just explode on the mountain and everybody came out? Yeah. You know, but, it, but that's actually what happened. I came out, you know, and, and when the ambulance came, they asked, like, where's the guy who was in the car? Like, how come there's nobody there? I said, well, that's me. They're like, it's not possible. How could you have gotten out? said, listen, I don't know. Hashem did a miracle for me. I, I wound up. And so it brought back, I saw, I'm sorry that I keep referencing these old 80s shows, but I think you'll appreciate it. If you remember the old Scooby-Doo cartoons, so the gang used to go to these houses and then like the ghosts would try to scare them out. And then like eventually they would have to be mitgaber and like they would have to say, okay, we're not going to be scared by the ghost. And I remember I actually said this to God, not that Hashem listens to me, but I said it in my own mind. I said, you know what, Hashem, you might be trying to scare us out of Israel you know, with, with my wife on my attack and with this car thing, but you're not scaring us away. If you go on, if you want us to leave, you're going to have to kill us because we're not leaving. And since that time, thank God, things, <laughs> things have been really good and really stable. I think sometimes as Jews, we just have to say like, you know, we're determined, we're going to be in Israel. We're going to stay here. That We're going to make this our place. And, you know, if Hashem has other plans for us, let him prove it and let him kick us out. But until he kicks us out, this is our homeland. This is where we're staying. And, and you're not going to make us leave. And, uh, uh, I hope that we're able to stay here for uh, many years and have our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren well, all enjoy. Well, you are definitely the A-team, Adam Siegel, and uh, you are the you are a leader and a, a really a, be- a shining beacon symbol for all of us. Thanks for taking the time. I know we're going to be talking a lot off pod. Anyway, we've got to get Adam back, of course, for some more of his tremendous insight and great humor and great personality. We'll see you, everybody. Be well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please take a moment to share this or any of the many episodes available on our platform with friends in order to help grow our community. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.